Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2020 Week 8 Waiver Wire Pickup Power Rankings. NFL injuries, maybe some trades, some buy lows, some sell highs. We'll see how far in-depth we get into this. However, I do want to let you know that the Pat Mayo Experience Listener's League link will be available in the description once it has been made available to me. I'm expecting that. Maybe Monday evening, maybe Tuesday morning. It will most definitely be in the ranking show with Jake Seeley on Tuesday if you're looking for the link. And you'll probably want to get into the contest pretty early. Phil's incredibly fast. You know, $15, no rake, three max entry. It's the best tournament on DraftKings. Why wouldn't people want to go play that? If you're looking for the updated waiver wire pickup rankings and injury report, because after stuff happens, once I've recorded this, I can't go back and change it. So you're stuck with the timestamp that I'm doing this with right now. But the article will be in flux and will be updated all the way through Tuesday evening. You can find that on DKPlaybook.com and in the description of this video and podcast, as you can find all of the free tools at FTNDaily.com. You got your air yard, your opportunity share, red zone report, all that good stuff, plus all the premium tools if you want them already at a 25% discount, plus use code MAYO, get an extra discount optimizer the projections for any slate that you want to if you want to play the monday night showdown slate there's projections and an optimizer for that make it very easy on yourself very quick to do plus all the cheat sheets up there too but just go check out the free tools it's pretty cool not gonna lie to you smash the like button to the video and in the comment section if you have a question about the week eight waiver wire in terms of an ad drop maybe a buy low sell high trade sort of thing any fantasy push football question you have leave it in the comment section of this video and i will get around to answering it on probably you know as periodically put it that way i'll answer them up until i release the ranking show if you have like start sick questions for the week you probably want to keep those until i actually do the rankings because it's monday you're not What's the matter when a start sit is on a Monday morning? It doesn't matter. People haven't done quite enough research to give you a proper answer. Or you can just wait until the ranking show comes out and I actually have the players listed in order and that probably clears it up for you anyway, if you're one to listen to me, which, you know, it's dubious to say the least. Uh, I want to shout out Fantasy Guy Drew up at FTNDaily.com. Came second on DraftKings this week. A last second play took him from $300,000 down to $150,000. It's got a bite. The 150k is fucking awesome. Second in the Wildcat is, you know, is something that you would have taken going into the week, but being in first place. Uh, and if you check out his Twitter, you can see what he actually did. He was actually losing going into the late slate of games with a team that was very similar to him. But he just went and looked at it, and utilizing the late swap, he found out they were both on Chris Carson. He was marginally behind. So knowing that, he was able to pivot onto Tyler Lockett in that circumstance, because as he said, he wasn't playing for second. He wanted to play for first. He knew if he had kept Chris Carson in, there was at least one team he could not pass because they had the same player just based on how the roster construction worked. And the biggest key to him doing that on DraftKings was that he saw that they had a running back in their slot. He could calculate how much money was left. And it's like, oh, it, he most definitely is playing Chris Carson. And Drew had Chris Carson in his flex spot. Now, that's really the key. The later you can push players into your flex spot, the better, because it gave him more opportunity at that salary to not just pivot onto a running back, to pivot onto any player he wanted. He had enough money for Tyler Lockett, pivoted onto Tyler Lockett, and boom! All of a sudden, soaring 
up. Although he got caught by a stack from the Seattle-Arizona game at the very last second, it did end up proving to be the right move. So you should always be on top of that stuff. That's like the extra 5% you can put in utilizing the late swap, seeing where you're at in tournaments. Uh, Obviously, we don't get the Sunday night game every single week, uh, if ever. This was just a rare circumstance. But it's good that he was able to put that method to good use. You should always be looking at late swap on DraftKings to go through it. So congratulations to Drew. Another guy, FTNDaily.com. Boom, use code Mayo. You can find his picks behind there as well and use all the information that's provided. Let's jump into the waiver wire for week eight. Teams on by Arizona, Washington, Jacksonville, and Houston is for half point PPR scoring. Again, the updated rankings can be found in the description of this video and up on DKPlaybook.com. Chase Edmonds is the number one pickup of the week. He's followed by LaMichael Pirine, Jamichael Hasty, Tevin Coleman, who should return probably this week. Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, not sure about Mark Ingram yet. I'll go through the full injury report as well. Gio Bernard, Josh Kelly, Carlos Hyde, Zach Moss, and then you got Latavius Murray, Wayne Gallman, Boston Scott, Cam Akers, Jamal Williams, Royce Freeman, Jeremy McNichols, who is going to be the primary backup with Evans on IR to Derrick Henry. Should anything happen to Derrick Henry, Adrian Peterson, J.D. McKissick, and Rex Burkhead. Um, Injuries for the week. Kenyon Drake exited the game uh, on Sunday evening, was carted off the field. Wouldn't expect to see him anytime soon. Now, the problem with Edmonds is in most competitive leagues, he's gone. Uh, He's available in less than 60% of leagues overall. That's the criteria for this article. So I can't just individually just go look at your team. This is, you know, it's a broad-based video. It's a broad-based column. So if Edmonds is there, like, spend all your fab money, go get Chase Edmonds. Uh, Not sure the extent of Drake's injury yet. Doesn't look good. Put it that way. Chris Carson exited that game as well with a foot injury. Now, he didn't come back in yet. Pete Carroll said, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Seems kind of strange that you would know that right away. Looks like it's a foot sprain. He could miss a game or two. We'll have to monitor that going forward. But Carlos Hyde would become the pickup you want. Now, if it comes out that Chris Carson is going to miss like four to six weeks or something like that, Carlos Hyde would become the guy after Chase Edmonds that you go pick up, obviously. But we just don't have that information. We probably will not have that information by the time waivers comes around. So you kind of have to take their word for it. That's why Carlos Hyde has not risen in the pickup rankings as of yet after Carlos Hyde, who I would expect to be the primary ball handler on the ground, and pick up a few targets along the way, a lot like Chris Carson did, just basically put Carlos Hyde into the Chris Carson role. He's not good as Chris Carson, so that's a problem. But in terms of the pass-catching role, you'd think that Travis Homer and DJ Wicked Wicked Dallas get some run in the passing game, but Carlos Hyde would end up playing the majority of snaps most of the time. So he would be worth adding as like a running back three that you could flex into your team every single week, especially if you were devoid of running back talent to be begin with philip Lindsay is going through the concussion evaluation right now and obviously in his absence uh, melvin gordon sucks so he put the ball on the ground twice and that's just what happens when you're melvin gordon he's still going to see run if Lindsay misses time royce freeman for deeper formats could become somewhat interesting jeff wilson hurt his ankle it appears to be a high ankle sprain so four to six weeks right there Raheem Mostert, Colonel Mostert, already on injured reserve. It came out after the game, Kyle Shanahan told us. Thanks for the tip, Kyle, after the fucking fact that Jarek McKinnon had always been planned to be rested in Week 7. Well, that's fantastic news. So now we're dealing with a situation where Jarek is going to be there. It looks like Tevin Coleman will be activated from injured reserve to get back into the mix. Then you have Jermichael Hasty, uh, who everyone really wants to be a thing, yet just hasn't been a thing whatsoever. I would expect Coleman to come back and split it with Jarek with a little bit of Hasty going on as well. Um, 
I have him at number three right now because I want to see if Coleman is activated or not. That might be a little bit high of Hasty at three, Coleman at four in terms of the rankings, but those guys can be flip-flop once more information comes down. They'd probably be both pushed down. If Jarek's going to be fine, it would be Coleman or Jarek for me to lead it. Coleman was obviously dropped in a lot of leagues, so you can go and get him uh, if you need be and kind of roll the dice in that situation. San Francisco wants to run the ball. Uh, Their offensive line and scheme make it very possible for them to run the ball with basically anybody at this point. So just you're never going to know which guy to play is kind of the problem. But the upside, it's unlike the Patriots backfield where, oh, I don't know which of these four guys is ever going to touch the ball. It turns out it doesn't fucking matter because they're all terrible and they don't do anything. At least in the Niners backfield, you, know, you have the opportunity at least to have, you know, if you pick the right guy, they're probably going to go off. Like if you pick Jeff Wilson on Sunday, it's like, oh, this is a bonanza. I, I definitely won this week. Or Jarek one of those weeks. Or Mostert one of those weeks. If it ends up being Coleman, it ends up being... Coleman. It's a difficult situation to parse through, but there is upside to be mined from this situation, which is why I don't hate it. Um, after that, Devonta Freeman exited the Thursday nighter with an ankle injury. No word yet on whether he's going to return or not for week eight, but uh, it would be Wayne Gallman as the primary backup. If you're looking for that spot, he probably gets a start over Deion Lewis in week eight, should that be the case. Aaron Jones was close to playing on Sunday against Houston. Obviously, Jamal Williams stepped in and did a fantastic job. If you started him, hey, it really worked out for you. He's still available. I do have him pressed down on the list, though. It's good to know that if Jones misses time, it's going to be all Williams and not A.J. Dillon, which was something that I was a bit scared of coming into the week. However, it does look like Jones is going to be back. Williams, obviously worth rostering, but you know he has no real fantasy impact if Aaron Jones is going to be healthy and playing. So that's why he's down on the list. Joe Mixon didn't play with a foot injury. Geo stepped in. He got all the run. I believe it was. Let's just take a quick look here. Scan. You can find all the snap shares in my pickup column as well. Geo played 75% of the snaps. It's pretty good. Not going to lie to you. That's exactly what we're looking for. Jamal Williams played 89% of the running back snaps over A.J. Dillon uh, in that circumstance. They were on the field somewhat at the same time. Dillon played 23%. But with Bernard, 75%. Samaj P. Ryan played 26%. He played three-fourths of the snaps. I would expect that if Mixon was to miss more time. Not sure Mixon is going to miss more time, though. Because if not, again, if we had better injury information on how much longer these guys were going to be out, it would really shift up the rankings. So this might be a week where... You throw a bunch of lower-end fab bids around because you don't know, if we don't know, what the injury circumstance is going to be, that maybe you get lucky and grab one of these guys if they're not already gone. I would expect Williams and Geo to be gone just because they played this weekend. Everyone picked them up and played them. They were top 15 options at running back, so you'd be crazy to not have played them unless your team rules in that circumstance. This stuff doesn't matter to you anyway because you're just rolling with the guys that you got. Uh, but if we don't know the injury concerns in a week like this, like I said, whether it be Hasty or Coleman or Pirine, not Samaj P. Ryan, LaMichael P. Ryan on the Jets, who's just better than Frank Gore at this point. Um, although yesterday, Gore did end up with more rushing yards. It was a revenge game, though. So you can kind of throw that off to the side. That you throw in like three, four, five dollar bids on some of these guys. And, you know, if someone goes out and spends 25, you didn't want to spend 25 on these guys anyway. So if you can get them for cheap, you can get them. Edmonds is a different circumstance where if it does sound like Drake's done for the year, you go spend all your fab money on him if he's available. These guys don't fall into the same territory. Miles Sanders, need did not play last Thursday night. No word on his status 
for week eight as of yet. If not, you're going to see the Boston Scott, Corey Clement show. Uh, once again, generally going to be Boston Scott. Boston Scott did play 70% of the snaps in a game where they were down for a bunch. They were up, they were up early and then down for a bunch. So it seemed like he was relatively game script agnostic in that matchup. He doesn't have a ton of upside, but he's still a good player and he'd be a viable flex option for you moving forward. Uh, Chris Thompson, it was placed on the COVID list and divine Izigbo ended up returning last week and then got hurt with a hamstring injury. Raquel Armstead is not returning this year. James Robinson is kind of shaping up. Now, this could change once Chris Thompson ends up returning from the COVID list, but James Robinson basically played every snap against the Chargers. It was crazy. He played 90% of snaps. He was involved in the receiving game. He got all the goal line work, all the between the 20s work. There are so few running backs like that right now. Someone asked me today whether you would trade Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for James Robinson. I think that I would, to tell you the truth. I don't know really what we can glean from the bell, Edwards-Alaire situation from Sunday. They scored two defensive touchdowns. They were up the entire time. It was weird weather. Uh, obviously, that Clyde Edwards-Alaire ended up outgaining Le'Veon Bell and played 51% of the snaps to Bell's 33%. DeAndre Washington got back into the mix. I totally forgot he was on the team. Uh, that was 18% of the work. So it just seemed like a situation where they didn't want to get anyone hurt. Uh, I do believe that Edwards-Alaire is still a, you know, mid-tier running back two, high-end running back two, but James Robinson is probably a low-end running back one, and we look at opportunity for him, at least in the next few weeks while, Rob, while Thompson is out, and even when Thompson returns, he's still going to get like a 70-plus percent of that split. The offense sucks, which is the biggest problem, but if you're just getting that much volume, you're going to be valuable. So I would take James Robinson over Clyde Edwards-Alaire at this moment in time. Uh, Mark Ingram, we're not sure about his high ankle sprain. If it truly is a high ankle sprain, he's not playing this week, but we'll see what the reports say. That's why I have the Gus bus and J.K. Dobbins at the top, near the top of the pickups list this week. Uh, Gus Edwards is just wildly unowned, and he probably would get, I don't know, they'll probably play the hot hand. Plus, you have to account for Lamar stealing touchdowns away, but if they're going to run the ball on the ground, which they do like to do from time to time, Gus Edwards, I would guess, over Dobbins would be the primary ball handler. In the passing game, I would assume it would still be J.K. Dobbins. They don't have gigantic upside because Lamar is there to steal their touches and the uncertainty of where the ball is actually going to go between the two, and then they're going to give it to Jean-Luc Ricard as well near the goal line. That always ends up fucking happening, so that's why I'm a bit more down on them in terms of pickets. If I knew Ingram was out for sure, I'd probably bump them up a little bit, but at the same time, they're not to be trusted. It's like Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones shaping up to have a fantastic matchup against the Raiders this week. Oh, Leonard Fournette is active, and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, Jones has been so good. They've used him so much, and what happens? Fournette ends up playing the majority of the snaps, and Ronald Jones does, you know, nothing. So uh, he gets there eventually, but Fournette was the one they were using in that game and not Ronald Jones, and now Next week, when I do the rankings, and it's like, oh, who do I put higher, Fournette or Jones? Well, Fournette got the majority of the work last week. Let's rank him higher, and he ends up getting like three snaps the next week. It's just, it's a maddening situation, and the more you can avoid those situations, which I know is impossible, but you don't want to have too many of them on the go at the same time. It feels like the Ravens running back carousel, even with only two of them back there, could shape up a lot like Tampa's, which just leads to a lot of bench mistakes at that point. That's why one of the reasons why I would like trading Allaire for James Robinson. Like with Allaire, you know, I could definitely be wrong on that. 
Le'Veon Bell could overtake him in this situation. I would expect it to be Alaire. I would feel confident about that. But I know it's James Robinson. There is value in that, knowing, hey, this is a guy I can put in my lineup, and I know the backup's not going to take his job three minutes into the fucking game. So that is one of the reasons to go ahead and do that. Delvin Cook should be back this week. Austin Eckler still on injured reserve. Good news for Nick Chubb right now. He's on injured reserve, but... Greg Stefanski says he could come back for week 10, uh, which would be a nice boost to the Browns offense, which just lost Odell Beckham for the year. So we get into the wide receiver pickups. Uh, We'll scan through the injuries to kick this off. Odell Beckham out for the year with the torn ACL. So he gone. Uh, Feel free to drop Sir Odell in this moment. Uh, In the pickup list, I actually have Rashard Higgins at number four, and then uh, my boy, Mario Van Peoples, Donovan Peoples-Jones. I have at number 22. Yeah, he had the big catch at the end of the game. He's a very good athlete. Maybe he gets more involved, but it's not like you were starting Beckham and Landry every single week anyway, so take Beckham out of that, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the guy who was the backup to Odell when Odell couldn't do anything, he's going to be the great play. I think Higgins is going to get a command, a very decent target share, and eventually Austin Hooper will work his way back from appendicitis as well. Uh, I wouldn't trust it, but it does seem like a good situation where you could pick up a lot of volume for a guy who's completely unknown. So the overall rankings, Sterling Shepard, number one, Christian Kirk, the king of the touchdown, apparently. Brandon Ayuk, uh, we'll talk about Debo in a second. Richard Higgins, Zach Pascal, Cole Beasley, Cole's hole, Jalen Rager. He's going to be coming back. More on him in a second. Preston Williams, Marquez Calloway, and Traquan Smith, nine and ten. Calloway was a preferred option. Yeah, he left the game late, but it sounds like he's going to be okay with an ankle injury. Uh, And we'll see where Michael Thomas is at the moment because it's not looking great based on uh, everything that we're hearing right now at a Saints camp. So Beckham, uh, like I said, I prefer for Higgins over Peoples-Jones in this spot. I think you can go pick him up. Jalen Rager and his thumb injury was expected to be out till like December, uh, but now he's been activated from the injured reserve as of today, Monday, and he is questionable for week eight. So he probably doesn't end up going this week in the Sunday night game. Uh, oh, I just got an email. Boom, the Listener's League link is now going to be in the description of this video and podcast. You can get your spot early in the DraftKings Listener's League. Uh, but I'd go pick up Rager. Uh, obviously, Fulgham has really turned into a wide receiver one option on that team, but Rager, the first-round pick, is going to be given every opportunity to command a very high target share. And who do they have left? Deshaun Jackson got hurt. He's going to be like out another six weeks, probably the year anyway, so he's not coming back. Will we ever see Elshon Jeffrey? I don't know. Does it matter at this point? No, Ertz, Goddard will eventually come back. Greg Ward's just not cutting it. So you could have Fulgham and you could have Regor. And there's very few people to compete for targets. It's not going to be Hightower. He'll get his like two or three shots per game. JJ will get involved periodically, but those will be the two guys. And he was dropped on mass because it looked like he was going to be out for so long. At least that's what they told us. Turns out they were lying about it. Could be good news to fantasy owners, though. Deontay Johnson uh, hurt himself again, coming back, playing great, scoring two touchdowns. Uh, Then he just gets hurt towards the end of the game. We'll see how serious his injury is. If not, Chase Claypool, you can bump him up once again. When Juju and Johnson are both healthy and on the field, Claypool doesn't do much. You take away Johnson, all of a sudden Claypool is like the best wide receiver in the league. It's, It's crazy the depth that the Steelers have this moment in time. Marquez Callaway left that game, like I mentioned at the very end, with an ankle injury, led the team in receptions and targets, and he said after the game that he's going to be okay. The rest of the guys on that team, Michael Thomas with his hamstring problem, that's not that's different from the ankle that he had earlier this year, did not play this week, and there's already rumors that he's not going to play in Week 8. That's why I have Callaway bumped up a little bit, plus Emmanuel Sanders has been placed on the COVID-19 list. Wouldn't expect him back next week either. Uh, long-term-wise for Callaway, he's a rookie, so he could end 
end up being pretty good in ingraining himself into the Saints offense. But at the same time, he looked better than Traquan Smith. He was more used than Traquan Smith for next week. I'd rather have Callaway than Traquan Smith. That easy. Uh, Tim Patrick hurt his hamstring in the Broncos game. He exited the game, as we've seen with hamstring injuries throughout the course of the season. It's not a one-week thing. It's not like you you pull your hamstring in one game and you're back the next week. We just have not seen that. So I would anticipate that Tim Patrick is going to be out for multiple weeks, which opens up the door for Deshaun Hamilton, uh, more for Jerry Judy in this offense, and hopefully Noah Fant. Well, he did play. He played through injury. It did not look very good. Even he came out after the game and said it. Hopefully he's a bit healthier next week. So if you had picked up Tim Patrick... Hopefully he's okay. Uh, same goes with Debo Samuel. He exited the game with a hamstring injury as well. Wouldn't expect to see him back. Uh, fortunately, it's a different injury than he sustained at the beginning of the year, which caused him to miss the first few weeks. That was a foot injury. This is a new injury. But again, probably two to three weeks before we see Debo again. Uh, I hope I'm wrong on that because I have Debo in a bunch of spots. Would love to see him back. Again, that's why Brandon Ayuk has bumped up in the waiver wire rankings as well. Richie James went down for the 49ers in this game. No team is more IR ridden than the 49ers at this point yet they're still above 500 so here we go Rashad Perriman got knocked out at the end of the Bills game um so he's going to be in concussion protocol not sure what's going to go on with him whether he ends up playing in week eight uh Jamison Crowder missed the game with a groin injury he could be traded Braxton Berrios is the primary fill-in in the slot as we saw for Jamison Crowder will be Jeff Smith on the outside along with Denzel Mims who returned last week should those guys continue to miss time you don't want to play them I'm just telling you how it lays itself out maybe there's a decent prop at like over one catch which i bet on jeff smith once and he i bet it over three and a half catches he had 11 targets and couldn't get there thanks jeff smith uh but you can find some decent props on these guys that the books are sleeping on a little bit because they play for the shitty jets uh, and they're not very good so that's a way to look at it Nikhil harry got bumped out of that game with a concussion you can't start any patriots uh until cam figures it out uh, more on him later on uh, in the weeks. I really want to dig into what's going on with the Patriots. What's going on with Cam? Is this a shoulder injury? Is this the repercussions from you know, having COVID-19 and coming back after two weeks? Uh, we've seen this with Zeke too. Like Zeke had COVID earlier in the offseason. He just hasn't looked right all year. Is it because the Cowboys offensive line sucks? Maybe. Is it because Zeke maybe isn't as good as maybe we thought? Maybe he's declining in skill? Maybe. Uh, is there more to this? I don't know what the answer to any of this is. Uh, so I'm just trying to, you know, I'm always trying to find where the logic is in it why is this happening is it just because they're not good anymore i find that hard to believe especially because cam looked great three weeks ago and since he then he got covid19 and now he looks horrendous uh i probably say that has something to do with it maybe it's just fatigue maybe it's muscle atrophy from not being able to move around maybe it's lack of preparation i don't know exactly what it is but uh, hopefully we can find that out john brown missed the bills game with the knee uh gabe davis didn't do anything it was all cole beasley i still wouldn't hate davis if brown continues to miss time Devonte parker hurt his groin before the bye week obviously two is starting now he should be okay coming out of it but monitor his status Deshaun Jackson placed on injured reserve Sammy Watkins was not placed on injured reserve however he's still up in the air for the week eight game with Kansas City uh, I would say he's probably like 50 50 to go at this point Brian Edwards again missed the game with an ankle injury that is opening up Nelson Aguilar in the Raiders offense I think when Edwards comes back we see Aguilar get pushed to the side a little bit although he's been very good he got the long touchdown pass to begin the game. Then he went full Aguilar and like dropped three in a row. Uh, classic Aguilar, if you've ever paid attention. Elshon Jeffrey, Lord knows when he's coming back. And Alan Lazard is still on injured reserve as of right now. Shifting over to tight ends. 
for the week in terms of the pickup. Can't pick up Jimmy Graham anymore. He is above the threshold in terms of ownership. And I got to give a shout out to my guy, T. Higgins. He had been number one in the pickup rankings for three weeks in a row. He's finally above the threshold. What does T. Higgins do? Comes through again. T. Higgins fucking rules. Oh, I should probably hit on Antonio Brown too before we get to tight ends. Uh, I did a full video on Antonio Brown. I put an article up on FTN Fantasy. Free to go read if you enjoy my take on it. Here's... Joe Biden style, here's the deal with Antonio Brown. Uh, this offense is obviously very prolific. I was completely wrong in my assessment that he just wouldn't be all that good. Turns out they are very good. Brady doesn't look washed whatsoever. But my biggest concern about Antonio Brown is when we chased Josh Gordon all these years and we thought, like, oh, we can stash Josh Gordon. He's going to end up on this team. It was because he was so young. Like He was still like 24, 25. Antonio Brown's 32 for one thing. He played, what, one game last year and hadn't played since the year before that. So there's a few concerns going on about it. Um, one, if you haven't played in that long, we don't know what your overall skill set is. A lot of people like are triggered about Antonio Brown at this point that I'm saying that he's not the best receiver in football. How the fuck am I supposed to know? And how would you actually know that out there? I would think that once guys are out of football for a while when speed is such a high priority and the ability to run routes the higher you get in age the more difficult that becomes at 32 uh, especially at wide receiver it's not quarterback where you can stand there and throw the ball you need your speed you need your skill set and you need that football sense which he's just been out of for so long to get back into the rhythm of that that is an overall concern about me and now i said in that video as well if he's free go pick him up it's a few fab bucks go pick him up but the biggest value i think that antonio brown is going to have this season is is trade bait right now i had mentioned that if you could trade antonio brown for t higgins do it 10 times out of 10 and then people like got back at me like t higgins sucks antonio brown is a top three receiver in football now you could be right i would say that in the range of outcomes him being a top three receiver in fantasy football and he's practicing he'll be practicing on wednesday this week i don't think he's going to play in week eight probably week nine that what's he going to be? If you had to take the over-under, I'm curious. To, uh, tell me in the comment section, too. I'm very curious to know this. To finish as a top 30 wide receiver, half-point PPR scoring from week 9 to week 16, when it matters for us, for the fantasy players, how many times did he finish as a wide receiver 30 or better uh, in an individual week the rest of the season? Would you, If I set the over-under at 2.5, would you take the over or would you take the under? I would take the under on that. So you have the potential declining skill sets, which could be true, which could be not true. We just don't know at this point. Uh, the fact that he hasn't gone through a training camp or preseason, we've seen how many soft tissue injuries have occurred so far this season uh, based on there being no preseason and a limited training camp that Antonio Brown, I would think, would fall into a highly susceptible version of that. Once you start running back at full speed, in full contact, cutting on a dime, it just leaves you so open to pulled calves and hamstrings and quads and all that crap that the potential to miss time is going to be very high for him. And then if you, like I said, if you have a hamstring injury, you're out two to three weeks. So there's half your season gone for the rest of the year anyway. That's why I'm thinking that it, right now, it feels like his value is never going to be higher because people are so jazzed in on, on Antonio Brown that you package him with someone, go up and get a great running back or something. See if they'll take fucking James Robinson for him or something. Some people are mental for Antonio Brown. Not everyone, mind you, but some people are really treating him like he's a top five receiver. But the biggest problem is going to be this Tampa Bay offense. They can't be trusted with anything. As we've seen, we just talked about the backfield situation where they can't decide on one guy or let us know uh, week to week. So that just becomes a headache. It leads to bench mistakes. 
And how are you going to support an offense that can't already support Chris Godwin and Mike Evans at the same time? When those guys have both been on the field, Godwin's been good. Evans has been absolute trash whenever Godwin has played. Maybe he catches a lucky touchdown, but the target share discrepancy is just so high. So now we're dealing with the backfield guys who are still getting targets. So let's pencil them in for like a 10 to 15% market share of targets every single week. Godwin's going to hover around 20 to 25% because that's just what Chris Godwin does every single week. Mike Evans is going to get his 10 to 15%, hopefully, if you own Mike Evans. And then you have the tight ends, plus Scotty Miller, uh, who's still going to remain somewhat involved. I would assume that that's the role that Antonio Brown ends up taking, but they'll still play four wide receiver sets. So pencil him into like five to 10 every week. You got Gronk and you have Cameron Brape between them. They're probably around 10 to 15%. There's only so many targets that can go around on this team. And that's going to be the problem. Like, I, when I set the line at over under two and a half top 30 weeks, I think that Godwin is still most definitely the guy to own in Tampa Bay. So then it scraps the rest of the time. Will he have a huge game? Probably at some point. It might even be his first game back. That would be optimal if you own Antonio Brown. Just don't get sucked into thinking that's going to happen every single week. I open up the potential for me to be completely wrong about this entire thing. But I feel like we've seen this sort of scenario play itself out a lot of times. And it just never goes as well as people want it to go. People want this to go really well. Except for all the people that justifiably hate Antonio Brown, who want it to go very poorly. Plus, you also have the wild card that he's an absolute maniac and might end up never seeing the field in the first place. He does something insane uh, before he actually takes a snap. So I just think there's a lot of red flags when it comes to Antonio Brown. So if you can maximize his value right now, listen, if you miss out, you miss out. But you can probably get something good back for him at the moment. That's just a lot safer moving forward. That would be my stance on Antonio Brown. I hope to hear from you on the situation as well. Let's talk about tight ends, though, because I you know I teased it. Now we can go into it. Mike Gusecki is back below the threshold. I have him at number one. I just think talent-wise, he's the best. And with Tua starting, maybe it's a situation where we don't see the other tight ends do all the work and Gusecki do nothing. I'd be willing to roll the dice just because tight end is so thin. So Gusecki, Logan Thomas, who's been really good with Kyle Allen, Trey Burton, Richard Rogers, uh, until Goddard or Ertz come back. If I'm not sure when Goddard's coming back. It could be like oh, this week. It could be three weeks from now. Be a very good pickup to go have because the Eagles schedule gets super easy all of a sudden. Um, so I have him at number four, Eric Ebron, Dalton Schultz, um, Harrison Bryant. Uh, we'll see the Austin Hooper news if he can return this week or not. I'm not sure how long an appendicitis keeps you out. And then Mo Cox, number eight. He was injured. He should be returning this week. So the overall tight ends, uh, Zach Ertz has been placed on injured reserve. Eifert did not play in week eight. They go on by week nine. He should be back for week 10, but that is a neck injury that could be serious. Mo Cox should be back this week after missing week six, being on by week seven. Dawson Knox missed the game in week eight. Not like you were owning him anyway. Jordan Akins missed his third consecutive game with a concussion slash high ankle sprain. He's expected to return for Houston once they come back off of their bye week. And then Dallas Goddard uh, expected to return in week 10. Uh, so Richard Rogers for those two weeks. But if Goddard is out there, you can probably stash him right now. He was very good before he ended up getting hurt. QB streams for the week. Uh, Jake and I touched on Tua last week in the ranking show. I think he's definitely worth picking up. Uh, we'll see how much he uses his legs. Um, I mean, that's really going to be the critical point for him. He has the weapons. Uh, it's not a great start for him against the Rams this week with Aaron Donald in his face. But if he can use his mobility and protect himself, uh, I mean, the higher, the more times that you run, the higher susceptibility you have to getting injured as it goes down. But at the same time, 
uh, if he is going to use his legs and provide a rushing floor, which, you know, may or may not happen. Uh, if he is someone who can do that, he will be a very valuable fantasy asset, potentially a top 12 guy. But for this week only, we have Teddy Bridgewater, Thursday night game at home against Atlanta. Gotta love that spot. Joe Burrow at home against Tennessee. They just love chucking the ball. Would have been Ryan Tannehill, but he's above the threshold. Derek Carr at Cleveland. Carson Wentz against Dallas. I don't care who his receivers are. Just play people against Dallas. And then Baker Mayfield at home against the Raiders. Prefer Carr over Baker Mayfield here. I I would expect Kareem Hunt to see a lot of work on the ground and Maybe that the Raiders can scheme a little bit more. And maybe the loss of Beckham was just kind of a one-week thing, and it will actually end up hurting this offense a little bit. Still don't mind him as a stream. Wouldn't expect five touchdowns and a half again, though, from your streaming quarterback. Defenses that are available right now. uh, Kansas City still below the threshold. They put up two touchdowns last week against Denver. Now they get the Jets. Perfect news. Chargers at number two at Denver. Number three, New Orleans at Chicago. Tennessee at Cincinnati is number four. The Green Bay Packers at home against Minnesota, who look like they're tanking the year. Number five, Denver against the Chargers and their lack of offensive line at number six. I'll have the updated quarterback and defense rankings out in my rankings on Monday evening, then on the ranking show updated again on Tuesday. If you want a full list for the week of all of the defenses that you could potentially go pick up if you need to, or to see if these defenses are better than the ones that you're currently housing as well. 2020 Bermuda Championship. First look, research, maybe some quick picks. I've only made one bet so far after scanning the board, but I will have the entire breakdown for the DraftKings field plus bets on Wednesday afternoon this week. That is when the golf show comes up. And my walkthrough today will be courtesy of FantasyNational.com. If you go to FantasyNational.com slash Mayo, you get full access to everything on FantasyNational.com. And you get a 20% discount. The Masters is coming up. So you might want to get familiar with the system right now. A monthly membership will take you through the Masters. And there's some pretty good fields. This is actually quite a fun field, to tell you the truth. After two no-cut events in a row with all the big names and me not winning money. Although, some of you out there, four separate over $10,000 caches on DraftKings for the Zozo Championship from viewers of the show and members of FantasyNational.com. At least those are the four that I saw. There could be more floating out there, although I think that's kind of gobbling up all the money. Save some for the rest of us, but congratulations to the people out there last week. Hopefully we can continue to go forward because this Masters prize pool on DraftKings is shaping up to be pretty good. And hopefully, using FantasyNational.com, we can get access to all of that money and hoard it all for ourselves, all right? Bermuda Championship, um, it is, it's it's a crappy field. I'm not going to lie to you (laughs) about it. The DraftKings pricing isn't out as we've as we're talking right now, although the odds are from DraftKings Sportsbook. I'll get to those in a minute. But just as a course overview, as Rick Gaiman had pointed out on Twitter, that this is the longest course on the island of Bermuda, and it's only 6,800 yards. So Port Royal GC, where they played this for the first time last year, Brennan Todd was the winner at minus 24, when I think he made like 13 birdies in a row at one point. It was crazy. He beat Harry Higgs by four strokes. Uh, 6,828 yards, par 71, greens are Bermuda, only 132 players in this field, back to normal cut rules, top 65 and ties make the weekend after 36 holes. So at least that presents an element of fun onto DraftKings if you have a good Thursday and Friday that 
the guys who had crappy Thursday and Fridays aren't still just live to come back and get you at some point. Like everyone who had Ben Ann, he would have missed the cut. Then all of a sudden he shoots like minus eight on the over the weekend. I think he ended up shooting like minus 12 or something like that just to get himself back into the mix. So it's a cut event. Uh, these are always my favorite. And for fields like this in particular, they're the best ones to use fantasynational.com for fantasynational.com slash Mayo. Once again, to get up to date on everything, the show will come out plus the bets on Wednesday. I did not hit Patrick Cantley as a winner last week, although a lot of you did. And Jeff Feinberg did. You failed. You tailed Jeff. I tailed Jeff on Reed. Didn't tail him on Cantley. Should have tailed him on Cantley. I believe he got him at 35 to 1. I saw a bunch of 33s, a bunch of 28s out there. So congratulations to everyone out there who held the faith, the scrambling game for Cantley, completely off the charts. And then you would have expected Rom or Justin Thomas just to walk away with this. If I had just gotten a par, just even par from Cameron Champ over the final three holes, he would have cashed his top five. That would have been glorious, would have paid 40 to one. Instead, I just got the the crappy nine to one top 10. Nine to one, you know, pays for the week uh, and covers all the rest of the bets. But, you know, you have the top 10 plus the top five. All of a sudden, you're high in the money. My guys continue to be Sunday losers every single week. It's kind of astonishing at this point. I guess it's my own fault because I ran so hot right when golf came back out of the COVID break, but just sucks. Every single week you have a guy right there and they just absolutely fucking shit the bed on Sunday. It's, it's kind of crazy at this point. So I, hopefully it's all regressing back to Bryson winning the Masters. I know myself, Jeff, and a lot of you out there, when we put the number out there at 45 to 1, people smashed it. Um, it's no longer 45 to 1. It's like 8 to 1 right now. But if Bryson can just come through for us, uh, we're all going to have a lot of money. So it's going to be fantastic news. So hopefully that continues to go forward. Let's jump on to Fantasy National, though, and take a look. I'm going to set the basic parameters right now before we dig too much into the research at the last three months worth of stats. So that's not going to account for everything. On Fantasy National 2, we have done a partnership with the PGA Tour and their stats. So you can click on Corn Ferry, which could be very helpful this week, uh, and those stats will get added in. I just have it set to regular PGA Tour. That is the default setting for the moment, because I want to see how they compete against the big guys. But if you did want to include Corn Ferry, this would be the type of tournament to actually do that, just because there are so many recent grads in the field right now. So let's take, just hop up to past course conditions and go to the course breakdown. Uh, we're going to check in recent results because that's probably going to be the most telling thing this week. I only say that because there's no shot link data for this course. Uh, there wasn't from last year. So you're just dealing with very rudimentary stats as it pertains to the Bermuda Championship. So you're not going to have the strokes gain metrics uh, to really point you in the right direction. So we're going to have to kind of piece it together just a little bit. I'm going to flip this over to the custom stat model. Uh, and create a new one for the Bermuda. I don't think I have a Bermuda one. Let's see, BMW, British Open. No, so we're going to create, oh, Shriner, strong. It was strong this year, too. Uh, let's go to new model, and we'll try to chip away at this as we go along here. Uh, I'm going to keep off the T and approach. I'm going to put those at zero for the moment. Actually, no, I'm going to set approach to 25%. That's, that's almost a standard for me every single week. That's the most important stat you can have, especially at a course like this, where it looks like it's going to be a lot of short holes uh, and see if we can pump something out here. So last year's conditions, uh, it was either easy or average relative scoring to power greens or Bermuda, uh, medium firmness and greens hitting the fairway proved to be rather difficult last year. Um, although people can club down and have no real problems. You saw the Todd father, the most accurate player on tour last year ended up winning. So maybe that is something to note. Even when we go back and take a scan of the leaderboard from a year ago, um, we can find out. We'll jump to 2020 and see the guys that played pretty well. We go to the leaderboard. 
Brennan Todd, minus 24. Harry Higgs, Brian Gay, Scotty Scheffler, Hank Lebiota, Aaron Wise. I mean, a lot of those guys are just really good off the tee in general. Not necessarily just accuracy, good off the tee players, whether they do it through distance or whether they do it through accuracy. Uh, you can see you're going to look for the all four rounds in the... 70 bonus this week from your guys, but a lot of shorter hitters can compete here. Uh, the one bet I actually made already, I'll just reveal it right now, is Russell Knox. I bet him at 66 to 1. He'd been playing a little bit better, kind of got thrown off the rails a little bit his past two times out, but he's been, I wouldn't say trending in the right direction, but gained 4.1 strokes on approach in the Shriners, despite the fact that he lost everywhere else, was bad at Sanderson, played really well at Safeway. But as you can see, uh, he's going back up after a bit, a little bit of a lull off the tee mostly in the negative but slightly in the negative but big positive once he gets into the positive but if you really break it down by fairways versus distance you can see that despite this little mini run here of not hitting a bunch of fairways gained at the Shriners gained at the Wyndham 3M and Rocket Mortgage and over his past five his good drives gained are up a little bit and historically has been very good in finding fairways so hopefully he can recapture that game a little bit putts really well on slower girl not really well but doesn't putt like a fucking disaster on very slow greens, which this is going to be. You can see this is one of the very few that gets the Velcro rating, so very slow greens. You might deal with a lot of wind as it is a coastal course, so be cognizant of that as we go through it. Uh, but it's a, like I said, it's a short course, slow greens. Uh, you know, it's a hit and giggle. Uh, who, it's a lot like last week, to tell you the truth, except you don't have all of the par fives in the world. It's only a par 71 to kind of go ham on. There were five of them last week at Shearwood CC. So it's going to be, can you take advantage of short par fours because that's what we're going to see mainly here let's just see if we can find a trick in terms of the scoring uh let's see birdie rate on number 114 that's not very good how about as we go through eight nine and ten so eight nine we got nine percent fourteen percent twenty two and nine so i guess if you were playing showdown um, the potential for a birdie streak is much better with people that start on the back nine just trying to get three birdies in a row from you know, maybe you go seven, eight, nine, but that would be available to anyone who starts on the back nine. Anyway, eight, nine, ten, nine, ten, one, with eleven being the most difficult hole on the course. Uh, that might be a little bit trickier to get a birdie run. I know number one is the fourth most difficult, but you have sixteen, ten, and seventeen and fifteen on the other side. That if you can somehow find a way to birdie number one for showdown purposes, that could work out really well in trying to get that extra like two percent chance that you get with a birdie streak. And you know, three points in showdown ain't nothing. Uh, plus it comes along with those birdies as well so i that would be my method although i wouldn't take crappy players starting on the back over good players starting on the front you always want to take the best players possible as it comes down to it other peculiar things here uh, you can eagle all three of the par fives two percent uh, number five is super easy the easiest or number seven the easiest hole on the course a set almost seven percent eagle rate on that hole on number 17 you have 18 percent, and at 501 yards 517 they can be reached into by anyone in the field. So I wouldn't just say exclusive bombers. If the bombers hit it as far as they can down the middle of the fairway, then they're going to have an easier time making Eagle. That's pretty clear. That's also tougher to do. And it doesn't preclude the Brennan Todds of the world from just hitting it like 275 down the middle of the fairway. They still have an iron and it's not that big of a deal. The biggest thing that stuck out to me right here, uh, when we look at the par fours, 350 to 400 yards, there are six of them 
on this course. That's pretty shallow. Not a bunch of drivable ones, as you can see. The eagle rate on them is very, very low, but the birdie rate on some of them is just off the charts. And par threes played a bigger factor last year in terms of overall strokes gained on those holes than any other. So if we take a look at those, you have two of them that are 225 plus. So two longer ones, pretty difficult. Uh, we can kind of take a look into those, but we're going to add that right away. Par fours gained 350 to 400 yards, and we'll add par threes just to give us a sense, 225 plus, as there's two of the three, and they're the two hardest ones that are out there. And since we don't have the strokes gain matrix, or metrics, it's, it's a bit tougher to figure out. Last year, the cut was minus one, uh, probably be in that same range again. And as you can see, 54% driving accuracy at this course, uh, 62 at a normal course. However, uh, the greens and regulation percentage higher than normal at a course. So it doesn't seem like missing the fairway, as long as you're just in the rough, is going to be that big of a deal. Three putt percentage, right around normal scrambling percentage a bit higher uh, at 61% versus the tour average of 58%, but right along where you would expect to be in this circumstance. So par fours are really going to play a big factor here. The par fives are just very easy. Can you sneak in a few eagles? That would be fantastic in terms of scoring, especially DraftKings scoring. But at the same time, um, we'll figure out how we're going to parse this a little bit later on. And you can even run a mixed condition model uh, if you want to find out who is good on some of the regular stuff. So if we look at the Zozo and we look at the CJ Cup, only person in the field, KH Lee, who played the CH Cup, uh, and Brendan Todd, who played the last two weeks, did not play well, but he is the defending champion at this course. So that's all we're going to see from that. Um, other than that, if we just go strokes gain total over the past six events, it's Will Zalatoros, Peter Malnati, who could set up really well for this event. I didn't even see what his odds were. Let's take a look at Peter Malnati. He is 50 to one. Don't love that, but this field sucks. So, oh, Luke List, 45 to one. We'll just take a look at the odds, I suppose, right now. Uh, Will Zalatoros, Brendan Todd are the two favorites, uh, 11 and a half and 14 to one from DraftKingsSportsBook.com. Harold Werner, Grio, Redman, all day down the list 20 25 30 charlie hoffman 35 to 1 same as denny mccarthy norlander 35 stenson 35 tringali ventura ventura 35 to 1 aaron wise uh all 35 to 1 then you get into the stewart sink rasmus hogard is over here um from Europe. Let's just see how he's been trending over in Europe. We take a look at his world golf ranking. I know this site was down a bit earlier. It appears like it's going to be down, but I suppose what you need to know right now is that he's number 74 in the world rankings. Rasmus Hogard is a very good player. Very curious to see how he ends up being priced on DraftKings. If this is a wedge and putting fest, was Brian at 50 to 1? Always kind of sticks out. I like Justin Sue a lot. Um, I might end up betting him. 55 to 1 is a pretty good number. I think I can find better than that out there. Like I said, him. Um, and where is the other guy? Where's Russell Knox on DraftKings Sportsbook? I wish I had access to now 55 to 1. So yeah, those would probably be my two bets, Sue and Russell Knox. Uh, maybe I can find some other value from down the board, like McCumber had been playing really well until he wasn't. Uh, he was third in strokes game, but he had two top 10 finishes at, uh, I mean, the, the biggest corollary you're probably going to find is Putacan. I don't know how, I mean, one's Dominican Republic, one is Bermuda, maybe some of the shorter Florida courses, because these are Bermuda greens, is somewhere to look at as well. But Zalatoris has just been playing well, three top 10s in his past four starts. I'm curious to see how expensive he's going to end up being on DraftKings. Uh, other guys playing well, like I said, Justin Sue, a top 10 and a T14, McCumber. 
Let's see. Is there anyone like from down on the list? Stallings, Wes Bryan has a top 12 and has only started on the PGA Tour over the past six. Luke List, a T8 and two cuts. Classic Luke List stuff right there. Uh, yeah, the official World Golf Ranking site is not loading at the moment, so you can go dig into Rasmus Hogard a little bit later on if you want. Uh, just overall consistency, we're not seeing it as much because guys have taken the two weeks off. Sink, obviously, a T12, T64, and the win before that at the Safeway. Hostler, three cuts in a row. Gillick, uh, the Canadian, always comes out storming the first two rounds and just gives it all away on the weekend. Norlander, Stallings is interesting. Tringali is always like a model favorite uh, when we go up and look for it. And Roger Sloan, Wyndham Clark, I had the T13. Yeah, I mean, it's not a great field. This is what we're looking for. Lahiri, I mean, if I have Raza on the show this week, I'm going to reach out to him to see if he has the time to do it. You know he's going to pump up old big... <laughs> our, our favorite guy in the world um <laughs> and her band lahiri now that he's back he's driving the ball well and see how it goes uh the tournament history from last year again we'll just click on this and check out the leaderboard and just see names that popped up a little bit uh you can see how they kind of got it done uh brendan todd and harry higgs the two that really stick out from this list other names out there you see some of these shorter hitters as well like david hearn uh another like accuracy putting and wedge type player too bad Norin, Norin was the favorite at this tournament last year. You see, like just even guys that are too good for this field now, Lonto and Duncan here last year. Not anymore. Not when they get invites to the Zozo and the CJ Cup because they're inflated world ranking now. Rafael Campos, he's back in the field. He tends to play like the Puerto Rico Open. Uh, he is from Puerto Rico, uh, but he tends to play these like Caribbean events uh, a lot better than he does the rest of the events on tour. So he is someone interesting to somewhat look, kind of look at. Chris Baker actually popped up here last year. He's been a favorite of ours kind of going through it. I'm curious to see. Uh, Lebiota was way down on the list. He's someone I've been betting like top 20 recently. You can see that he sucks putting, but the results have been coming along. He's made four of his past five cuts overall. Uh, the iron play had been really good until the Sanderson Farms when he had a really disastrous weekend. He was competing for a top 20 for me there, and Corrales almost figured out a top 20. If you can get it all together, uh, that's a big ask from Hank Lebiota. But at the same time, uh, these are the types of scrubs that we're dealing with down here. So let's set um, this particular par 4 scoring to 10%. We'll set that par 3. We'll set that to uh, we'll set it to 5% because that that can account for some of the approaches as well. Off the tee, we'll go 15%, but we'll juice up driving accuracy as well. That is fairways gained. Overall, let's see here. Fairways gained, we'll set that to 10. We'll set it to 5%. We'll play around with these at the end. You know I'm going to want uh, wedge approaches 100 to 125 this week uh, just because of all of the short par 4s, um, and we'll see how I mean, even some of the par 5s for some of these guys. We'll set that to 10% in terms of proximity, and we'll set 200-plus to 5%. Uh, for some of the approaches on the par fives as well. Uh, we're just going to have to eyeball test this here, only because we don't have the actual distribution from shot link to go along with it. So what else do we want? We have approach, uh, short game, less of a factor here. We want to use opportunities gained. I really like opportunities gained. Um, we'll set that at 10%. What are we up to here? We're at 85%. So we can probably juice up approach a little bit more to 30% or so. We'll add putting in and call that 10%, although... You probably want, actually, you know what? We'll go in with Eagles 
and set that, and we'll go with putting and set them both to 5% to see how that goes. And just see what the model spits us out here. You can rig this any way you want. Uh, this is probably not going to be the final model that I use for the week, but I always like to see sort of a standard of where everything is at. And we'll call this Bermuda, and we'll, we'll call it Championship so I don't get it confused with my Bermuda putting type one. I have that set as a mixed condition model and which you can save in the sneak peek if you want to go through that. But I have a feeling Zalatoris is going to be spit out at the top um, once we start trying to factor everything in. All right, let's see what we're looking at here. What do I have it set to for starters? Um, last 50 rounds, custom date range. Let's set that to past three months and run it again just so we have a you know, shorter type view of what's going on. So past 50 rounds, my ranking... Well, my ranking. Emiliano Grio, number one. Doc Redmond, Will Zalatoris, Justin Sa. Yes, Sa is definitely going to get a bet from me here. I'm going to take a look on my books. Like I said, 55 to 1 on DraftKings Sportsbook. I would bet that as it was anyway. Oh, God, Scott Piercy. Hopefully there's no QAnon conspiracy going on at the Bermuda Championship. I mean, he'd be the first one to find out about it, so maybe he has a leg up on the competition. I don't know. Very good at Shriners in terms of ball striking. Very good at Sanderson Farms in terms of... Oh, fuck, I'm going to end up bidding Scott Piercy, aren't I? Jesus, this always turns out very poorly for me. Piercy coming in at 50 to 1. Not a great value by any means. Uh, we look at, oh, good, my guy Duffner ranks out 7th. Thanks, Duff. Uh, obviously, the putting, not great. I feel like he let me down the last time, too. Duff, oh, no, no, he was putting it around the green, putting it around the green. Had a bad Safeway in terms of approach. The one tournament he actually putted in. Uh, missed the cut his last two, but the ball-striking numbers have been on point. See where old Duff Daddy is coming out. Duff, Duffner's 70 to I know you can get a better number than that. Danny Willett is in this field? Good God, Danny. What are we doing here? Uh, so, Grio, Christoph Ventura, Malnati ranks inside the top 10. So, no real, like, sleepers. Chris Baker, who did have a T31 at this event last year, comes in 12th as we look along the longer term. Russell Knox does rank 15th. So, I'm, I'm happy with that uh, as it comes out. His proximity from the short range wedge. If we just kind of sort by who is the best from that wedge range. Bo Van Pelt, nine rounds of data. Straka. Aaron Wise. Is Aaron Wise making a comeback? Don't call it a comeback for Aaron Wise, or maybe we should. I don't know. 17th at Sanderson. He had a good Sanderson Farms and still only came 17th. I'll probably be off Aaron Wise. Another Ben Raza favorite. Stumanji, these are Bermuda Greens. This is the type of tournament where Brian Stewart would play well. Safeway was the last one we kind of had going on. Let's see. Bermuda 51st last year. <sighs> and it's going to be one of these weeks where we have to pick between all these losers, isn't it? As you can see with some of the rounds here for some of these guys, even over the past three months, we're not getting... Do I have anything clicked on over here? No, I don't. These are just overall uh, not a lot of weighted rounds for some of these guys. You can extend it past three months if you want to. Uh, let's take a look at opportunities gain. I didn't uh, Opportunities gain instead of greens and regulation, it is a green and regulation or green and un under regulation or fringe or fringe and under regulation uh, that is inside 20 feet uh, from the pin. That is what we call an opportunity gain. Justin and Jason Duffner, along with Charlie Hoffman, uh, this is just basically a scoring stat at tournaments where birdies are going to be a plenty you want the guys generating the most birdie opportunities that's what opportunities gained is so i would lean with those guys a little bit too who ranks out on luke list is on there kyle stanley number nine ricky Barnes, tricky ricky good god ricky burns what are we doing here 
I feel like he, where was he good recently? I just remember seeing his name on the leaderboards like fucking Ricky Burns. I made two cuts in a row, 23rd and 31st. Ricky Burns, fire him up first round leader. May have to use him if he's a cheap price on DraftKings as well. Russell Knox, 14th in that number. Arjun Atwell, another guy who makes a ton of eagles. Uh, not recently, but just by and large, it's just really weird to see him up there. Bermuda Benny. Oh, Ben Martin ranks out 21st in this model. Good God. Um, guess we should probably, eh, has two made cuts in his past two starts. No decent finishes though. What else are we looking at here? Rob Oppenheim, always better with wedges in his hand, as you can see. If we just look at those short par fours, we got Josh Teeter, who finished very well at this tournament last year, only nine rounds of data uh, to account for him, but he is the best in the field over the past three months. Let's extend this one out to past six months and see what it is. How's Teeter been doing? Two miscuts in a row. Nothing really happening, but second in Puerto Rico, um, which is interesting, another Caribbean event. And then at Bermuda last year, 11th. That's really weird. Uh, Corrales, he just doesn't play well. He's missed the cut two years in a row. So maybe yeah, he's someone who can ball strike it with the best of them uh, at times. So interesting to see. So if we go back and look at it, Cameron Percy, who had been playing a lot better recently, the best. Teeter still second, even over the past six months. Harold Varner, Kiradash, Affy Barnrat, who actually ranks out first if you look at Velcro putting over the past 50 rounds. So maybe Kiradash can get his act back together. Seifert, Hadley, Michael Gillick, Bryce Garnett, Max Homa, uh, who just set a course record at like a you know a home course in Florida. Take that for what it's worth. Nick Watney, Kevin Tway, Kelly Craft. Uh, funny with Kelly Craft, always plays really well at Corrales too, and did it again despite the fact that we haven't seen much from him. Oh, that's Duffner. That's Aaron Wise. Brian Stewart. Ben Martin. Where's Kiradesh? Kiradesh, here we are. Better on, better on Bermuda, as always. Uh, horrendous at Sanderson Farms. Made the cut at Corrales. Uh, it's been a rough go for our guy. Hasn't placed in a top 10 since the CJ Cup last year. So it's been an entire 12 months on the PGA Tour, at least for Kiradesh, uh, that he has generated a top 10 finish. But always an interesting play because he was once one of the better players in the world, and you get to have him at it. Stenson is going to be the crazy one. I keep buying into Stenson. Uh, over the past six months, it's only 14 rounds of data, fourth in fairways game, best in the field at par threes, over 225 yards, 15th in eagle rate, shitty putting. Uh, the irons have just been off for him, uh, which is a grave concern when you're someone like Henrik Stenson, and that's kind of your game. But I'll probably get sucked back into them because I'm a giant fish who loves name recognition, and I can go with that again. But Justin Sue, Jason Duffner, God, Duffner. Ugh, and Russell Knox are probably going to be my guys. Maybe Seb. Seb ranks out fifth, ranks out 10th over the past six months. The ball striking had been really good. 30, 14th, 33rd, miscut, 43rd. He gets that putting back to what it was. He's been in the putting um, almost in every range that we look at over the past uh, 5, 10, 20, 51 tournaments in terms of putting. Like, he's a good player. He sucks around the green, but I doubt that's going to make that much of a difference here. Camillo Vigegas, too. Only eight rounds of data on the PGA Tour. 23rd at Sanderson Farms. Led tee to green that week. Good on approach, bad off the tee at Shriner. Still gained three on approach the putting. Horrendous. But if we look at his splits, better on Bermuda than anywhere else. Um, Shriners was not Bermuda. I believe that was bent. Sanderson Farms was Bermuda. Still lost almost six strokes there. But an intriguing figure. Where does Camillo come in here? Maybe as a top 20 bet if he's not too far down. Cameron Percy at 90 to 1 is actually not a terrible value. Camillo, 225 to 1. Yeah, I'm going to bet that for sure. Uh, maybe I can be talked in or out of it as it comes down to it uh, once I do the DraftKings show on 
Wednesday and I have a better sense of the breakdown. But again, um, that's how I'm doing this for the first look right now. You can find all the odds up at DraftKingsSportsbook.com. You can get the entire modeling, not mine, but you can create your own. You can see how I just walk through each of the steps and doing my quick look for research. Uh, FantasyNational.com slash Mayo gets you full access. It also gets you 20% off. I believe that brings the monthly down to like 24 bucks and it gives you the masters at the same time. You're going to invest more than that betting and DraftKings wise at the masters alone. Plus you get four other tournaments to go along with it on that monthly that it's well worth your time to really dig in and make your entries actually worth something to get all the data that you need from fantasy national. So I highly recommend you go do that now. Uh, thank you all for watching smash the like button while you're out there. I really enjoy doing these. I get to walk you through my process. Uh, last week on DraftKings, I ended up losing my, because can't lay one if thomas or rom had one i would have been up a whole bunch losing their points put me on the bubble in almost every big single entry tournament so the 200 and both 100s that i played fucking sucked so i ended up taking a bath uh, i think i was like a minus 85 roi because i'm pat mayo i'm not great at this stuff but research wise and using the tools pretty good at that and it's led people to use them better than i use them to make their picks so hopefully you can do that too i'm pat mayo thank you all for watching I'll see you next time. Family experience! Experience!